Welcome to Money Making Conversations Masterclass. I am your host, Rashawn McDonald. It's time to stop reading other people's success stories and really start writing your own. People always talk about gifts and passion. You hear it all the time. If you've got a gift, lead with your gift. And don't let your friends, family, coworkers, or coworkers, especially those people, stop you from planning or living your dreams. My guest is Brian Simpson. Let me just keep it real simple right now. He's a stand-up comedian. If anybody knows my background, that's why I, that's how I met Steve Harvey. He was my opening act as a stand-up comedian. Deaf Comedy Jam, that's me. Good friends, Dave Chappelle, Chris Rock, all those people. Brian grew up in Washington, D.C., foster care system, then joined the Marine Corps. He eventually quit a job at the Pentagon and took up stand-up comedy. I left IBM to pursue my stand-up comedy career. He tours the country brilliantly, incorporating his rare combination of life experiences as a foster child and Marine Corps veteran into his refreshingly unique point of view, which I love. I've seen his special three times. You hear me, y'all? Three times. We're going to be talking about his career, his new Netflix stand-up special that I've already told y'all I've seen three times. Please welcome to Money Making Conversations Masterclass, the incredibly funny and brilliant Brian Simpson. Thank you for having me, Rashad. Brian, um, you know, for me to sit up and say I saw you, because this is what I kind of do, because, you know, we've been trying to connect with this interview a couple of times and your schedule and my schedule. But one of the most importantly thing, we are not talking. So I always see, I always try to watch things the day of an interview. So uh, I get up at 4.30 in the morning, get to my office about 6. Netflix, I got the account. Special out right now, streaming on Netflix. Turned it on. And it was not one joke in your set that I would have ever thought of doing. That's my first sign of brilliance right there. If you're doing something that I wouldn't even think about doing, I go, okay, he's in a whole different plane of conversation. That means you're original. That means that you're edgy because you're talking about stuff that normal people don't say on stage. And you know where I'm coming from. Because you know when you go on stage, people expect a certain joke. You know, I always say joke is tied to sex and rock and roll. Food, sex, rock and roll. That's what comedy is tied to. People expect that. Now, let's talk about your career as a stand-up comedian. You know, you're touring. You're on the who's who's list of the next great one. When you hear all that stuff and hear me talking right now about you, Brian, what's your thought? thoughts about your career so far? I mean, it's, it's still kind of hard to believe, man, when the, when I hear some of the greats, you know, talk like that, because it's only been a couple of weeks, even less than that, since the special came out, you know, and it was, it was struggling all before that, <clears throat> you know, but, you know, I, you know, I knew I was funny enough to, to, to get it done, but I just didn't know when it was going to happen, you know, and it just feels good that it's finally taking place. Now, how did Netflix put you in this series? Because the series is called Stand Up. And it's a series of 30-minute specials. And, you know, they just shoot one person after the next. And, you know, and then how did you come about that through your management, through your agency? They saw you at a at a comedy festival. They saw you in the comedy club. How did you come about this opportunity, Brian? Yeah, they well, they were they were dancing around me for a little while. But, uh, and they were kind of on the fence a little bit. But then... I I was uh I auditioned for the Just for Laughs festival in Montreal, and right? It, for Montreal, yeah. Right. And it just so happened to be the first week in LA where they started lifting restrictions, mm-hmm. and so everybody came out, you know, 
And they saw me that night in the crowd, all the industry people was in the crowd, and that and the next day they gave me the half hour. Mm-hmm. Now, did you do a similar yeah. set, or you did the same set that aired on um, Netflix? Um, I actually don't remember what set I did. I, I mean, maybe because it, it was only it was only a, a five minute set. So okay, there may be some, there may be a joke in there from the special, but mm-hmm. it's, it's not the same set. No, mm-hmm. I, I would tell you about the reason I, I I love your set. See, I was just a funny guy. You know, I could I could craft words and I could see life from a, my point of view, from a social standpoint. But I never incorporated my personal life into my stand-up comedy routine. And you're incorporating your personal life into your stand-up comedy routine. Talk about that journey and talk about how you're able to find things that may be sad to other people, but you twist it to be very humorous when it comes out of your mouth. Man, you know what? I um, um, I was I remember performing one time in um, this because I started out in San Diego, right? Mm-hmm. And um, and I and I performed one time, and I remember. Do you, do you know a comic named Ralph Harris? After this, my boy out of Philadelphia. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, and he, he he gave me two key pieces of advice. He he told me to always, you know, basically the basics was like always write, always be writing, mm-hmm. and but then the other one was like he said, "Hey man, you're funny, but." But I don't believe you. Mm-hmm. You know, when you when you up there talking like I don't believe you, like be real. Yes. You know? Mm-hmm. And and he told me so he told me like the more you the more you make it about you, can't nobody ever steal your material, can't nobody take it from you, can't nobody do your act, you know. And so that's when I stopped making jokes about like observations. Right. And started making jokes about stuff that only I could talk about. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so and the one thing about I love about his stand up, first of all, he's not a high energy guy. He don't have props. No. <laughs> OK, he just walks out on stage, walks up to the microphone, just starts talking. He, you, you invite me into your conversation. That's a style of comedy Brian Simpson has. You know, I've been fortunate. I've, you know, uh, managed Steve Harvey, uh, good friends with him. Uh the whole Kings of Comedy run, DL, Bernie Mac, that incredible special that he did, a headline in the Kings of Comedy, Cedric the Entertainer, I can call him one of my good friends, did Def Comedy Jam, all those things. But when I see you, you cut from a different cloth. Why is that? Um, I think I just I just have a unique experience, man. You know, like I I um I don't have a normal upbringing. Um, I think I, I lived a couple of lives before I started doing stand-up. Right. You know, because I, I wasn't always the class clown or nothing like that. Mm-hmm. Stand-up kind of found me late. I didn't start till I was 28 years old. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, but you was I, funny, though. I, but you was funny, though, around your group. I was, I was observant, mm-hmm. you know, and it took me... I didn't know I was funny till I was in the military. Okay, how, what age was that? I was, that was 18. Okay, cool. So that's fine. That's fine. You know, you weren't supposed to be funny in high school. I wasn't funny in high school. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? I was just trying yeah. to find myself in high school. I didn't I didn't start doing stand-up to like uh I think it was uh it was like five years out of high school. No, no, that was no 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 I take that back. It was like uh three years. I was twenty-one years old when I started doing stand-up. I was in college. And I just went and oh, saw wow. Bill Hicks perform. In Houston, because I, oh, wow. I started doing stand-up comedy in Houston, Texas. And I was I was watching the show on a date, and I was sitting on the front row. And um, uh, Sam Kennison was on stage. 
Bill Hickson. I wasn't laughing. I was just wasn't. La- I was just enjoying. But they made a big deal about a black guy in a comedy club full of white people not Ooh. laughing. And so, and finally, Bill Hicks did something and made me laugh. The whole whole room just gave a standing ovation to that moment. And that's how I got into stand-up. That moment, you know, of going, wow, I would have never thought about doing something like that. And it was revealed to me as an option. That's how I got into stand-up. How did how was stand-up revealed to you, Brian? Um, well, it, it was it was it was two things, but one when so when I uh when I got to my when I got to my first unit, mm-hmm. um, I was the only black person. Right. And it's funny how the, our stories are similar like that. I was, I was the only black person um, in my unit, and everybody was being a little extra nice to me. This right. is a short version. <laughs> yes. And, and my commander pulled me to the side one time, and he told me that before I got there, there was there was a racial incident. The, the commander had been accused of racism. They took him out the unit. They took all the black Marines out the unit. And I was the first black person back in the unit. Right. And that's <laughs> and so everybody was acting strange because they was afraid to like offend me. Right. You, you know, you were test subject. You were test subject. Yeah, yeah, I was the canary <laughs> in the coal man, right? So I so I I gathered everybody. I said, hey, look here. You say whatever you want to say. Right. But I get to say whatever I want to say, right? <laughs> you know, and, and 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 that was the deal, right? And right. so it got to the point where I started being able to speak when when everybody else had to hold their tongue, right? Uh huh. And and and, and, every, and you know, and I learned real quickly that if 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 it got a laugh, I wouldn't be in trouble, right? You know? Right. Right. So. And I just got in the habit and it got to the point where everybody started being like, man, you need to do this. You need to do that. Fast forward a couple of years later, I, we uh, we run into Don Myrera at a, at a, um, at a Hooters mm-hmm. and he gave us tickets to his show. And I, and I watched him just master class right. in stand up. And that's when I decided I was going to do it. I went home that day and wrote my joke, and it's still one of my closest. I, I use it still. Now, did you practice on anybody? Like I practiced on my sister and my nephew. That's why. That's how I was practicing, practicing, practicing before I went on stage. Got my little five minutes together, Brian, and then I went on stage. <laughs> what did you do? I, you know, what I did is I, I hid from everybody. I read, I read. I would go do open mics like when no, I knew nobody I knew could possibly run into me. Right. Uh-huh. You know? Mm-hmm. And uh and and I got ready. Um and I and I, and I would talk to myself in the mirror all the time and, yes. play, and yes. record, record it and play it back all the time. Cause I just didn't want I was so scared to embarrass myself. We will be right back with more money making conversation with Rashawn McDonald. Now let's return to Money Making Conversation with Rashawn McDonald. I remember I was uh Steve Harvey gave my first writing job on me and the boys in, on ABC in like in 94. And I hadn't done stand-up for comedy for a while. And so I got booked in uh, Los Angeles, I mean in Atlanta, in Atlanta. And, uh, and Earthquake was hosting at the time. Oh, man. And Earthquake wasted me, brother. I mean, he <laughs> he towed that club up, dog. And I went up there, and I ain't going to lie to you, I bombed. I I bombed really really bad. I mean, with dear, I mean, uh, 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 everybody was an artist because they just thought out because everybody knew my reputation, and he took me out. And so I did exactly what you just said. I went home. I, I found my old recordings. I looked in the mirror, 
And I just started practicing, just started practicing. And so the reason I bring it up, because a lot of people think that jokes are just natural, that you don't put work into it. But you have oh, to put yeah. work into it in the mannerisms. And sometimes a joke is not funny because you didn't even do your hand like this. Swing it right. Or you didn't turn. Yeah. And, and you know what I'm talking about, Brian, because sometimes you go, why that joke ain't funny no more? And then you might look at a video and go, oh, because I'm not turning. Oh, because I'm not looking up. When you, when you think yeah. about that whole work and craft of, of putting this, this set together, this own Netflix, that's making you a star. This is the, this is the start of your career, brother, because you are doing some stuff that is very original, but it's very funny, but even very groundbreaking. And in, 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 in the era of council culture, what you did when it came to mental health, that joke, that was a bold mm-hmm. move, brother. <laughs> that, was, yeah, that was a bold was, move, brother. They, they they out there canceling people, but you was able to pull it out and 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 do it very funny and let people understand it's just a joke. You know, don't. This is what. This is why you came in here to look through my lens, my eye, my third, fourth, fifth eye. How I see things allow me to twist it, entertain you, walk away, but don't, don't, don't crucify me. As saying that this is something that I, I I believe in. Talk about that whole approach to your comedy, because you on the edge, Brian Simpson, with your material, but you keep winning with it. Talk to us about that. Yeah, you know what? I, I um you know, I, I just my, my philosophy is just you can't make you can't make art if you decide when it's gonna be at the end. You know, you can't you can't go. This is how I want it to turn out, and then and now I'm gonna start making it. You gotta just make it and let it be what, it, what it's gonna be. You know, right. and, and and everything you let influence that is is it makes it less you. You mm-hmm. know, and I and so I'd rather I'd rather have the people be upset, and and with me being me, right. than I will for everybody to love every single word I say. But I'm being fake. You know, like my 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 philosophy is always, you know. Everything you got to be fake to get, you got to stay fake to keep. Right, you know? and that's mm-hmm. ex- that's exhausting. Right, absolutely. You know, so I I, I just rolled I just rolled the dice. I mean, because it, it's nothing in that it's nothing in that stand up that what that wasn't true. Mm-hmm. I mean, it all happened to me, is what I'm saying. You know, mm-hmm. I, I obviously you massage things for comedy's sake, but those those are my stories. Those are all things that are that are true. I don't care if you're upset about it. Right, you know, right. But we live in a, a society that that not telling you what you can and cannot say. They say, you, yeah. Well, some I think I think some people some people think that they have a monopoly on pain. You know, yes, they do. Yes, they do. And it's like and it's like we all deal with our pain in different ways. Mm-hmm. And and so I got through a lot of my darkest times by finding the comedy in it. Mm-hmm. And I and I'm sharing that with people because just as many people are upset. I've received messages about that specific joke. I received messages of people going, you know, I've been there too, man, and you made it. You made it better. Or thank you for saying that joke. Right. You know. Mm-hmm. So, so, so why why do you get to deprive that person right. of hearing the joke? Right. Because it doesn't it doesn't work for you. You know, it's like getting mad at me for taking aspirin when you prefer Excedrin. You know. Right. Right. It's right. Like, <laughs> it's the cure. It's the cure to my pain. Right, right. You know, uh, you talk about foster care, and I know that I, I represent a couple of uh, my clients. They have they're they're from the foster care world. Are you a, a, an ambassador, or is just something you talk about, or do you or do you go out your way to really encourage the 
there is a life, there is an opportunity after foster care. How does foster care play in your life now? Now it's part of, it's part of your comedy routine. It's part of your Netflix special. What is talk about that journey and what is, what the, the role of foster care in your life now as an adult? Well, I, well, now that I'm now that um, you know, I anticipate I'll have a little higher profile and have more influence. I'm definitely going to be more involved uh, mm-hmm. in that world mm-hmm. um, because I think it's important for you know, just like you you hear a lot of times nowadays, representation matters. Yes, sir. And. And so just like it's important for black kids to see black people succeeding, even even further so, it's important for foster children to see other foster children succeeding because a lot of a lot of foster adults aren't really vocal about it. Um, and 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 it's important, you know, because it's easy to grow up thinking that you're broken or that there's something wrong with you because you've been passed around, you know. Right. Mm-hmm. And and um but what I learned very quickly when I started doing standup was that was that the way I grew up was actually unique. It was actually a superpower because I have a perspective that very few other people have, mm-hmm. you know. And mm-hmm. so I, I see the world in a way that very few other people see. And so it's not something wrong with you. It's just something different about you. And I, and, and I would love to just say that to as many of these children as possible, is that you're you're not broken. You know, there's there's value in your story. There's value in in uh, in, in the things you went through. Now, this this about education too. That's what called money making conversation masterclass. What exactly is foster care? Uh, well, it's basically when the state uh, becomes becomes your parent. Mm-hmm. Well, because you know, when you're when your parent or guardian are either unavailable or unwilling. Mm-hmm. to raise you the state steps in and they put you in a home well you know their their parent their people that that uh volunteer well they don't volunteer they pass a process and they become foster parents and they agree to take children that have been abandoned or given up um but a lot of, but sometimes it doesn't work out because you, you know you're in there with children with all manner of different problems right and sometimes the chemistry ain't there and you got to move to another place or you you're troubled yourself and you need a different kind of care and you get mm-hmm. moved to another place or you get in some kind of trouble mm-hmm. and you get moved to another place. But the state is responsible for you. Mm-hmm. So, and, you know, so what made the military an option for you when you because <laughs> were you seeking a family? I, what was what was that whole relationship there? No, I joined the military out of defiance. <laughs> OK, you know, yeah, I think I, I, I had. Uh, I had been, I had moved maybe like the, for the 14th time uh-huh. or something. And I was just sick. I was just sick of being controlled by people that weren't, uh, by people that didn't need to be around to deal with the consequences. You know, so it's like, if you take, it's like, if you make some decision for your child, like if you tell your child, no, you're not going to play the trumpet, you're going to play football. Right. Well, you got to be around to deal with the consequences of that. Right. But with foster children, it ain't always like that. Somebody will make that decision for you and then they quit two years later. And then, you you know, and so right. I got tired of that. And I just, you know, I I know I, I really gave up one form of control for another. Right. But it, but it was like it was my choice. And that's right. what it was. I joined just so I can make my own my first choice for myself. Then, then, then I read on your bio, you made another transition to the Pentagon. So, you know, you got all you got, you got a lot of amazing titles tied to your name, Brian, Brian Simpson. You know, Pen- yeah, you know foster I, care, I, military, Pentagon. 
<laughs> when I see a Pentagon, you know, I, I, you know, wow. I just think, wow. What exactly were you doing at the Pentagon? I was, um, I was a subcontractor. This was after the military, and um, I, I was basically just a, a, a technician. You know, I made little, little repairs and adjustments. Uh huh. You know, it's the stuff I can't really speak on. <laughs> well, I'm glad you can. But what we can speak on is how funny you are. Now, now, you know, they say you're a regular performer at the Comedy Store, which I've been at the Comedy Store. I know about that. The Laugh Factory, all these places. When you look at when you look at comedy, when you were just a like, you know, I grew up with Richard Pryor. You know, I thought I was going to be the next Eddie Murphy. That was my run. What was your run of comedians that you were looking at that you liked or you admired that really you know, sent you in this direction. Because I can tell you it was Richard Pryor, Red Fox, it was Eddie Murphy, because he, he, was, he was near my age. Who was it for you, mm. Brian Simpson? Um, man, it's the, you know, so I've been, I guess I got, I got a lot of influences. I really like D.L. Hughley. Mm-hmm. Um, Whoopi Goldberg was like the first person mm-hmm. like from, a, you know, from the youngest age I, I really saw. Um, I like Jim Gaffigan. Oh, he's funny. Oh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I mean, the list goes on. I, I feel like just a, a, a little something from everybody. I just I love a sharp pen, man. Mm-hmm. Just a, just just somebody that got a sharp wit, you know. And I know that's not everybody's cup of tea, right? But like you said, it's got to when it's something I don't see coming. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> Some, when it's something I wouldn't have thought of, you know, because that's the best feeling is when you see a joke and you go, man, I wish I would have thought of that. Right, right. But then, yeah. but, but then I look at you and I go, I would have never thought of that. Is that That's the brilliance of it, Brian. You know, it's like, I would have never thought of that. But then I'm being entertained and being taken into a world that is so colorful, that is so descriptive, that I understand. I can understand the relationship you had with your grandmother. I, I can understand all these worlds that you walk around. You know, I, it, it, and plus you're very good at ad-libbing. You have very good improvisational skills. So that lends me the question, are you going into acting? Um, I'm trying. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just one of those things where, you know, what when you put the time into uh, to, to stand up, you know how much it takes. Yes, sir. Uh, it's very difficult to start back over with something that you're not very good at. Uh-huh. So that's what I'm doing right now. I'm working on my acting skills. I'm trying to get them up because I don't want to just act for the sake of acting. I want to do good at it. You right. Know? So but I, it, it I, is something I'm doing. I, I feel you will, man. I, I, it's, it's something about you, man. Like I said, I, I saw your special, man. You know, usually I, I, I get an opportunity to see a lot of new talent with my show, Money Making Conversation Masterclass. And, and so I always enjoy seeing up-and-coming comedians. And you had me the first five minutes, man. And then I went, okay, let me see the next 10. Okay, the next 15. The next 20. The next thing you know, you're saying goodnight. And I went, wow, this went by so fast. And I actually watched it again right after that, Brian. It went by that fast. And then I got home, like I said earlier, and I told my wife, I said, you need to see this guy. He's pretty funny. She goes, who is it? I said, just watch it, just watch it. So she was like, you know, she was multitasking, you know. And all of a sudden she started watching. Next thing you know, the paper got set. It was pushed to the side of the of the chair. And then she started, that's good. That's funny. That's funny. <laughs> and so I'm just letting you know, I'm just, I'm just sharing these little personal moments with you, Brian, because uh, it's good seeing that a craft that, that has been so important for me in my life. I wouldn't be in this conversation with you 
if I didn't do stand-up comedy. Stand-up comedy allowed me to leave IBM. Stand-up comedy allowed me to be a sitcom writer. Stand-up comedy allowed me to manage Steve Harvey. Stand-up comedy allowed me to do so many things I do in this business. You know, Stephen A. Smith, run production companies, uh, have hit movies. All these things has been because of stand-up comedy. So when you sit up and tell me, man, I want to act, and the talent I see in you, Brian Simpson, you will be whatever you want to be because, man, you are a special talent. And the special that's airing on Netflix should be seen by everybody. Thank you. That's the highest compliment. I appreciate that. I appreciate you, brother. And I want to thank you for taking the time to come on a Money Making Conversation Masterclass. You said something earlier. You said, hey, Rashawn, you know, uh, uh, people starting to see the special and, and you're starting to reach out. What has been the, the most fun reaction as we close this interview about your special airing and people starting to recognize your comedic talents? Oh, you know what? Actually, you you uh, you keep bring, you, you brought up the name a few times. Um, I woke up the other day and I had about 50 text messages and like 10 missed calls. And it was all my friends and family going, Steve Harvey looking for you. Yes. Yes. And I'm like, I was like, what? Yes. <laughs> you know, and, then, and I, I opened my social medias and everybody's tagging me. And, look, Steve Harvey looking for you. Steve Harvey looking for you. I still ain't got a hold of him. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. I did. He, he wanted me to call into the show and I tried to call in and I could. And people still, to this day, you know, that was a few days ago. People still. I, I would tell you what I'm going to do. Uh, when we finish the interview, I'm going to give me your email address. I'm going to connect you. Okay. Okay, yeah, yeah. I I'm going to connect that. you. That's my boy, okay? I'm doing a favor for him next week. So, no, no, no. You're special, man. And he sees what I see, okay? You got a gift, man, that, like I tell you, he'll tell you, he'll tell you himself, you're doing jokes he would never thought of. And that's a brilliant compliment. And I'm glad that I was in tuned enough to be saying a name that's trying to track you down called Steve Harvey. And my name is Rashawn McDonald. So you remember that name when you talk to him, okay? I'll, ne- I'll never forget. <laughs> All right, then. Thank you for coming on Money Making Conversation Masterclass, Mr. Brian Simpson. Thanks, Rashawn. I appreciate you. If you want to hear any of these interviews, please go to moneymakingconversation.com. I'm Rashawn McDonald. I am your host.